and welcome to another edition of the Currency of Truth with your host, Randall Martin and Bill Hughes. Hey, Bill, you know, we've got a very special guest on, and this is going to be a treat for our audience, and it's going to be a super informative show. And please remember to support our broadcast affiliate partner, GlintPay.com, where you can buy, save, spend real gold instantly with Glint. Hey, Bill, why don't you introduce our guests and let our audience know what they can expect on this podcast? Absolutely, my brother. So we have a really awesome guest. I actually had the pleasure of um, listening to our guest probably the last three years, at least since the pandemic. And it was his podcast, which is called Black Swan Capitalist, and a few others that led me to getting into crypto and also buying precious metals. And I think they have a wealth of knowledge that they should get out to the world. And the especially the people in the BIPOC community should really be paying attention. So our guest's name is, is Bandel. So Vandell, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you very much for that nice introduction. Um, I'm happy to be here. First of all, it's so refreshing to speak with people like yourselves, like-minded that really know what's going on and that are trying to spread the message. Because the more we stay asleep, you know, the more they could keep this going and just keep the quality and standard of people's lives going down. So mm. um, people need to understand what's going on and they need to wake up because that's the only way of uh, a change will be made. You know, it's the power of the people and our voice. And if they know that we're still sleeping, not doing anything, just going with the system, they will keep things going and going until life is just a living heck, you know. So this needs to be done, you know. People need to know what's going on. And that's the thing. The system is created so complex so that the average person, including myself and everybody, the middle class, the lower income class, don't understand what's going on because it's so complicated that you really can't make a change or stand up or try to make a difference if you don't know what's going on. You just so, keep running on that treadmill like a mouse, you know, chasing the cheese, you know. Yeah, yeah that, and to that point is exactly why we started this podcast. And so let's get into that a little bit, Vandell. Um, you know, when you look at the system, like I started listening really intently after, you know, seeing your show and others about the U.S. dollar, how the U.S. dollar operates within the world system, because we are the, res the reserve currency of the world, which a yes. lot of people really don't understand the importance of that. And then we started talking about BRICS and digital currencies. So let's peel that back a little bit. So with the, currently right now, with the U.S., seemingly the dollar is really in a lot of trouble. What does that mean for the U.S. and other countries around the world? Well, what that means is, first of all, your buying power is going to continue to go down. So let's start off there and then we'll get into the depth of that and go beyond that. So let's say you have hypothetically $7,000 or $10,000 in the bank a year ago in a savings account where the banks want you to keep your money in a savings account. They want you to stay in the bank. So you have $10,000. One year later, that $10,000 will buy you what $7,000 can buy you today. And that's because... Mm -hmm. 30% inflation. Now, the government, the mainstream media, the Federal Reserve, they might tell you it's 5%, it's 3% inflation, we got it under control, but it's really a lie. There's so many indicators that can tell the average person like us that they're lying because all you got to do is look at your bank account and check your wallet. For example, a few years ago, actually just two years ago, I would go into HEB, which is a grocery store here in Texas. Mm. I'll buy my strawberries for a dollar and some change. 
close to two bucks. But then two years later, now if you go into HEB, they're going for $4 and some change. That's above a 50% increase. So how can they tell you that, oh, it's 3% inflation? Uh, core inflation excludes you know, uh, food and energy. But the point is, that it is so much that it's so easy for them to lie to the people and people believe it. But the truth is inflation from creating money out of thin air is what's destroying our buying power. So back to the example I just said, if you had $10,000 a year ago, it could buy you $10,000 worth of stuff, things, goods. But today, that $10,000 will buy you about $7,000 worth of stuff. Now, this same math equation can be applied to a $10 bill. If you have 10 bucks, well, that 10 bucks will now buy you $7. So you get the point that your power, your ability to buy things with the dollar is decreasing. Now, that's been happening really since the dollar was ever created, but they had it under control at one point because we were on the gold standard where mm -hmm. gold really kept governments in check. So what does that mean? So for every dollar they printed, they had to have a certain amount of gold backing it up and there's a limited amount of gold. So they couldn't just print out of thin air. See what I mean? Yeah. But 19, so go ahead. No, I was going to say, because so, that's a, that's an important part. And I really think people should know that. So with the gold standard, which we came off of in 1971, mm -hmm. with the gold standard, th there are talks now that BRICS may actually go on some, back their currency in some form or fashion with gold. And other countries around the world are, are being rumored to actually back their currency in some form or fashion with gold. Is, is there a potential that the U.S.? could actually go back on the gold standard or some, something similar? Yes, there definitely is. Based on my research and my time in this area and understanding finance and banking, because that's my background, we could definitely go back to that. And inevitably, I think we are going back to that because the paper, the fiat system, which has nothing to do with gold because we're off the gold, dollars are not backed by gold. They're not backed by anything except confidence in it and just a false belief. So I think we will go back to a gold standard because they have to get the system under control. But this is exactly where cryptocurrencies or digital assets come into play. Well, Excellent. now you, you've so, talked to all these financial leaders uh, on your program, and you've got a sense of what's happening around the globe. You know, as as Bill mentioned, you know there is a de-dollarization that is happening in various ways. What happening. would you say to people as a hedge or things to do in order to uh, counteract that? Yeah, well, uh, something that has zero counterparty risk is gold and mm -hmm. silver. That's a fact. And actually, there's a reason why the Bank of International Settlements, also mm -hmm. known as the BIS, so who are they? That's the central bank of the central banks. That's the big dog, okay? okay. And they're really behind the scenes because you don't hear about them on mainstream media. Okay, so the BIS, Bank of International Settlements, in 2019, they moved gold from a tier three, which was risky, to a tier one, which is zero, zero risk, zero counterparty risk, which means it's the safest asset you can literally own in the world as of now. Why? Because of its history. But there's, that's why they, they moved it to a tier one. And interestingly, it's not them just talking and moving it to a tier one and putting it on their website, which is an extremely big deal. But I pay attention to their actions too, not just what they're saying, 
And I always question what they're saying and what's the motive behind that, if they have a motive. But I look at what they're doing. And central banks all around the world have been accumulating gold at record highs since 2019, Hmm. since they classified gold as a tier one, which is zero risk. So back to answer your question, gold is the safest thing you can own. Of course, you have assets that rise in value over time, real estate, property, um, gold and silver is in that in that pocket too. And then there's other assets that include even vintage wine and collectibles. But the safest thing is gold. And I'm not saying this. The Bank of International Settlements is saying this and the banks are doing they're following that guideline. You know, Vandell, with that move, I found it very interesting because like you, you know, um, I too, you know, saw when when they had declared that that gold was you know, the safest asset in the world. But the media really didn't talk much about it. You didn't hear, you know, CNBC and, and some of your larger media companies talking about the fact that the, the BIS did declare gold to be uh, such a safe asset. Yeah. And that's the thing about mainstream media is you got to be very careful. Um, remember, they're, they're, the mainstream media, regardless what political side you're on, this is a fact. They are controlled by five conglomerates, okay? And those are run by the big families. So I know it sounds crazy. It sounds like a science fiction movie, very conspiratorial. But let me tell you something. Uh, Truth is stranger than fiction. And that's the thing. It's It's almost so unbelievable that most people wouldn't believe it. It's too crazy to be true, but that's a fact, you know? So the mainstream media is not gonna announce that kind of news. And the thing is, whenever they do announce something, it's kind of too late to position yourself Mm -hmm. for the most part, you know, you know, um, people think, Oh, I'll just wait to the last minute, the day before the dollar gets dumped on the world to prepare myself. But the thing is during crises like that, there is no last minute. It happens when you least expect it. And you're either on the right side of history or you're not, Yeah, but they they don't want to tell you what's going on. And so the danger when Randall and I talk all the time, a lot of times Vandell, our talk is around, when, when you're talking to people within the BIPOC community, trust is everything. Everything is a conspiracy unless I trust it. Um, of course. And so, uh, and so when I hear this information, when other people hear this information and we try to relay it, uh, it becomes a very difficult task because people aren't trusting it. And so they do enter, whether it's stock market or, or buying you know gold or assets, they usually enter it late. That's why back in the day, our grandmothers, and grandfathers used to buy bonds. And and really, it's a poor investment. It's a poor man's investment because you would hold these bonds for years and years and years mm-hmm. and it won't, would only translate into, you know, a one one thousandth of a percent increase over that period of time versus that had you put it in gold or stocks or something like that where you would have got a greater appreciation. But going back to the gold, this conversation uh, uh, around gold and also crypto, um, it is really an interesting one. And this is the one that Randall and I are trying to teach people in the community about. So how does crypto actually play into um, where we could possibly be going around the world as a financial system? Yeah, I'll happily answer that. But real quick on the bonds that you were mentioning, may I say something on that real quick? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so last week, all right, um, maybe a little over eight, uh, nine, 10 days ago. So For the second time in a week, it happened twice in a week, the U.S. Treasury bond went below 50 cents on the dollar. So that's less than half of its original value, which is extremely unusual. 
because that's never happened in history before. Mm. And that just shows you that sophisticated investors are actually worrying that the governments not be might not be able to pay back what they owe on those bonds. So right there, that's just one indicator out of a million that confidence is being lost in treasury bonds, which is basically the foundation of the global economy to some extent. But let's move on to the crypto thing that you just brought in. Cryptocurrency is, the well, just a little history on that. So, you know, in 2008, we had the financial crisis mm -hmm. in the US, mm -hmm. the financial housing crisis. So this is very interesting, but you always got to look at the times of events and the times of when certain news goes mainstream. And in 2008, we had the financial crisis. But right after that, in 2009, that was supposedly Bitcoin, Bitcoin's inception. Bitcoin was created in 2009. So not to get too off topic, but we have a theory and there's uh, a lot of circumstantial evidence to support it. But we believe that Bitcoin was created by maybe some department um, in intelligence department, the government, so that they could move us into the new financial system. Remember, they have to start somewhere and starting is just creating and putting it out there. That's how you start. And they did that in 2009, right after the housing crisis. So moving on the way until today, the cryptocurrency digital asset space is going to be, and blockchain technology specifically, mm -hmm. is going to be the foundation of the new financial system. Everything will be run on the blockchain. And this goes from peer to peer, people to people, business to business, and for financial institutions around the world. That's the era we're moving into. And we've had industrial revolutions in the past, which are basically errors where certain innovation changed the world forever. We had the first industrial revolution, which was uh, oil, gas, uh, coal, and then the second, and of course, millionaires were made during that time, mm. okay? People that got in early, people that saw that it was going to be the future, people that invested. And then we had the second industrial revolution, and that was automobiles, vehicles, transportation. And then people got very wealthy during that time too, when they got in early. And then the third industrial revolution was the internet era, late 90s, early 2000s, the dot-com boom, the dot-com era, where the internet became a thing, Google, all these internet online companies, um, uh, Microsoft, um, Amazon, and people got very wealthy then. And that's actually how Bill Gates became a billionaire too. Mm -hmm. I don't like the guy, but that's, that's how he got very rich. It was from <laughs> making certain investments in those technologies. But the point I'm making is that was the third industrial revolution. Many of us missed that train, but now we're living in the fourth, the fourth industrial revolution. Now, the one who coined that word is Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. But nonetheless, the point is we are in this new industrial revolution that is disrupting the world. It's artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, and cryptocurrencies and digital assets. That's the fourth industrial revolution. And right now, people have an opportunity to participate in this and pretty much set themselves up for success and be well positioned for the future. Mm -hmm. So okay. we're living through it right now. And it's going to be a pivotal, it's going to be the foundation of the new world. Everything will be run on blockchain. And I know there's 20,000 plus digital assets, cryptocurrencies, blockchain 
technologies. But just like the internet era in early 2000s, the dot-com bubble, there's only going to be a certain selected few that actually stick around for the future and stay here for the next hundred or God knows how many more years. So Vandell, that's a great point you brought up. And so let's talk about that a little bit. When we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, you can see some of the moves being made behind the scenes, not only in our banking system, but in our government. Mm -hmm. For example, and Randall and I did a show on this on FedNow, right? Within the FedNow system, we know that it's talking about real-time payments. But in that system, on the back end, they they tell you clearly that it is ISO 222 compliant. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they also let you know that at some point down the line, they want to make that system interoperable. Yes, that, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. Right. With that, you're you're introducing through ISO, you're able to introduce cryptos. And like you said, certain cryptos, not all of the cryptos, and I talk to Randall about this all the time, not all of the cryptos that are out there on the market right now have utility. And yes. so when we're talking to people in, in our communities, I tell them all the time. I, I don't give specific advice. I don't. I don't give investment advice. But what I tell them is, look, find a crypto that offers utility. And there are some that I, I favor. I favor the same ones that you do. So I, you know, uh, we don't get into specifics here. But I favor the same ones sure. that you. I'm part of the army. But focusing on cryptos that actually have utility. So let's for our audience, let's just explain a little bit what, what some of the utilities are, like border transfers, smart contracts, things of that nature. Yeah, sure. I'm going to answer that question, but let me just back up real quick. This is just a quick comparison comparison to the internet days, the dot-com bubble, where many people got extremely wealthy and became millionaires because they invested in the companies and technologies that were changing the world. That's the key. Okay. And they were disrupting the technologies or the companies were disrupting certain parts of the economy. I'll give you a quick example and then we'll move on to the question you just asked. During the internet era, when it was becoming a thing, economists on mainstream news, financial experts, they were all telling people do not invest in Amazon, do not invest in Google. It's a trend. It's a fad. It's not going to be here in the future. Stay away from Netflix. Okay. Those companies that made people extremely wealthy, whoever invested in it, are the companies that disrupted the world forever. Amazon completely disrupted the way retail sales take place in this world. Completely. Google disrupted the way information was exchanged and how it was transferred. Netflix completely killed Blockbuster. And the list goes on. Uber completely destroyed how taxi transportation was done. And the list can go on. I mean, there's so many different technologies and companies. But what we're witnessing right now in the crypto space is the same thing. History repeating itself. But this time, the blockchain technologies and the digital assets solving the biggest problems are going to be the winners. And the rest of them are going to have a very short-lived life or they're not going to flourish. So, for example, what do I look for when I'm scoping back in the day for, you know, different new asset classes or digital assets that I could put my money in or own cryptocurrencies? So I always ask the question, how big is the problem they're solving? Like how big in terms of dollars, how much money are they going to fix a problem for? So how big is the problem they're solving? And what is the problem they're solving? So, for example, 
I'm not going to get too deep into it, but XRP, as an example, they are targeting the most amount of money in the world and the biggest problem in in dollar value, which is in the quadrillions, excuse me, in the trillions. So for me, that stands out. So its utility can be valued or can be calculated based on that. And I don't have an exact calculation for it. Uh, we discussed this with our friends at Val Hill Capital, and we talk about this within the community. There's many ways, but it can't be, there's no regulation at this point. But the point I'm making is how big is the problem they're solving and what is the problem they're solving? And of course, with the problem they're solving, the tool that they have, how much supply does it have? Is it infinite? Is it limited? And if it's limited and they're solving such a big problem in the world, then that's a good thing if you own some of it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, talking about that, Vandal, I, I want to come back to the assets, but I, I have a, um, a, a specific point is okay. when you look at cryptos around the world, right, and, and understanding what you just said about the importance of the ones that have utility, what you see in the U.S. and in other countries is they make it extremely difficult for you to, to be able to purchase the ones that we believe have real utility. And so yes. for our audience, you know, it, it's, it's difficult when you're talking to people, one, that don't have a history of investing, right? But now... I have an audience that doesn't have a history in investing, and then I'm putting in place an obstacle that's making it even hard for some for someone who knows how to invest. So how do we uh, uh, educate or get people to the point to where, A, they understand what assets they should be buying, but actually understand how to actually buy them? Yes, I have an excellent recommendation for that, and it might sound so simple, but it's the easiest way. The internet. Just get on Google or get on YouTube learn from people like yourself and just research or type in how to buy this cryptocurrency or that currency. The point is not to follow that investment advice, but just get your feet wet and learn how to actually make the transaction, how to do it. That's the basics. You got to know how to do it first, which is very easy to learn. You can learn it online. You can watch YouTube videos. You could read on it, but especially videos, tutorials are the easiest way to get the hang of it. And actually, that's what I did early in the day when I started. I just started YouTubing how. How can I buy this? And then I would look at the exchange. I would figure out how to transfer money from my bank account to the exchange so that I could buy a certain cryptocurrency. So just that's the foundation. That's the basics. Once you know that, then it's time to really start taking action, but very strategically and be careful what you buy. But so, then so mm -hmm, go ahead. To that point, I, I, because I was thinking about this, because here's the other concern that we will have is the risk, right? Everybody wants to be that I talk to seems to be, you know, risk averse. Um, but there are a lot of people that just, you know, they don't have a lot of extra money. So what they're trying to do is they may only have an extra fifty dollars a month or extra fifteen dollars a month in in the mm -hmm. world of crypto. That could be a substantial amount of money if if you're looking at some some of the assets that that definitely. I like. But I don't want to risk that on something that isn't going to be here tomorrow. And so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how, again, how do they assess the risk of an asset that they're looking at that, that may not be around? Oh, well, you start off with, first of all, this is the way I like to think of it. Before you invest in anything, you always have to research or and do due diligence on whatever it is that you're interested in buying and investing in. 
So it starts with the research. So what does that mean? Start researching information on the use case, the utility, who's backing it, who's behind it, what partnerships are taking place behind the scenes that they're not sharing with the world. Remember, by the time it's on the mainstream news, it's already too late. And the, the thing is, the real, how, how can I say it? The real gem in the rough, diamond in the rough, they, they will never tell you mm. when it's early, okay? They will never tell you when it's a good time to get in. They'll always tell you when it's a bad time to get in, or they'll tell you when it's kind of too late already. And that's how the mainstream media operates. So I would start with research, assessing the risk by asking yourself, what is the probability that this will rise in value? And what is the probability that it will not happen and it will go to zero? So once you start doing the research and asking those questions for certain digital assets, you'll find out that the probability of them succeeding is extremely high for some of them. And the probability of others is mediocre or very low that they'll succeed. And that's one way I assess my risk. I start asking, what is the probability of this, this, or that happening? And based on all the research, keeping up with everything that's going on, reading between the lines, connecting the dots, reading here, listening to what they're saying. And then once you have all this information, it makes it much easier to put the pieces of the puzzle together so you could see a clear picture. It's very difficult to see a clear picture if you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, or at least some of them, Amen. then everything's just messy, you know, like I, I, you, William uh, and Randall, you could try to explain a specific topic about why gold is important to have at least have some of gold, right? You could explain that to somebody, average person on the street, but they won't get it. Maybe they will, but most likely they won't get it because they don't understand all the other dynamics of it, all the other pieces of information, all the other significant events that have happened in the past. Well, but if they did know those things, then it would make sense. It would click for them instantly. They'll be like, oh yeah, you're right. That makes sense. But you see what I mean? Well, it seems to me like there's three different elements. And then, yes, I do see what you mean. And, and thank you for really kind of breaking this down uh, for our audience and really giving practical steps, you know, in a way to sort of pragmatically go about this. Because we have a financial transition or reset that is mm -hmm. upon us. You're dealing yes. with the, the, where the dollar is going to be positioned in that reset. And then you're dealing with these emerging technologies that are going to be the possible replacements uh, for the, you know, for the dollar and how blockchain is going to enable that to happen. So there's, there's, it is, it is a big uh, series of topics to try to figure out. But how would you advise? Like again, this is a transitionary period, and yes, it you is. Know, and even countries are trying to figure out what their place is. In, in this, and everybody's jockeying for position uh, in, in this. The average investor that's not, you know, they, they'll, 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 they'll be in a mutual fund or maybe some be in a hedge fund. How that maybe would you say that they should be directing their, the people that do have investment advisors? And I should say, by the time it's on the news, it's too late. And yes. so how mm -hmm. do you, how does a person maybe direct or tell their people that are in charge of the investment, look at this, look at that, look at this, or maybe spread my investment in this? Well, like, what would you say to someone who's having their investment portfolio managed to say, maybe give this person a little guidance so that you're not lumped in with the rest? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, financial advisors, for the most part, um, I have friends that are financial advisors, but Remember, 
they don't want you to pull your money out. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's that's their job. Okay. The reason they have that job is because people trust them with their money to make investments and reallocate their portfolio. So it's not in their best interest to tell you, Hey, look, this is really what's going on. You need to get the heck out of here, pull your money out, cash out, put it in something else. So they're not going to tell you that it's not in their best interest. But second of all, most of the financial advisors today are young people. And when I say young, I'm talking like 20, late twenties mm-hmm. into their thirties. And they haven't even, they weren't even an adult during the 2008 crisis. Okay. So they have no clue what's going on because for financial firms, they have research departments that send them the information, the data, and they have limited information and resources to base their um, decisions off of. So the truth is a lot of these financial advisors don't even know what's going on. They really don't. There's, there's some of them that do, but most of them have no clue what's going on. And the thing is, Financial advisors always tell you, look, just hold. That's the best thing to do. Just keep your money in. Just hold it. Even if the market goes down, just hold. You'll be fine. It will always go back up. Now, for the most part, in the past, that's true. Mm. But this time, it's different. And I think the young financial advisors don't even get this. But I have to say it. We're living through a, a, a great reset right now. This is actually taking place within the financial system mm-hmm. and within the economy. We have never lived through a period like this in our lives at the at the age that we're at, especially financial advisors. They have not experienced it. So they don't know what's going on and they don't know how to strategically react to these scenarios and these situations. So maybe 30 years ago, if you told your client, hold, you'll be fine. For the most part, yes, you were right. Over time, your your assets will come back to their value that they were once at, and you'll be okay after you wait for a, a while. you know. But right now, it's extremely different because every 70 to 100 years, a great empire does a reset, and it completely is restructured from the foundation to the top. And we're living through that right now. So the advice they would give you 20, 30 years ago is not as effective as it is now. Mm-hmm. And even if they think it is, that's extremely risky depending on your age. Because if you're um, in your 20s and you have a financial advisor, or let's say you're in your 30s or 40s, okay, maybe you can listen to your financial advisor if he says, yeah, keep, you'll be fine. If this happens, it will go all go up over time. It will recover. Just hold. Yeah, that's okay if you're young. But if you're older or if you're planning on retiring, that is one of the biggest mistakes you can make. And I'm not a financial advisor, but I know what's going on. Mm. And why is that a big mistake? Because they might tell you, just hold. You'll be fine. Your stocks, your portfolio will go back up in value. Sure, maybe over a very long period of time, because if you look historically how long it took for the market to recover in 1933 um, during the Great Depression, um, excuse me, the the financial collapse that took place, 1929 to 1933, mm-hmm. it took a very long time for the market to get back up. 
And that's actually, that's actually why they created a 401k because people lost confidence in the government, um, in the, in the market, excuse me. So they said, let's create a plan that we could offer to employers to get people to put their money back in. That was the whole reason for the 401k being created. It happened right after the great depression to get people to trust the market again. But the thing is this, if you're older and planning on retiring, how long can you really afford to wait? is the question you should be asking yourself because we haven't you know, experienced anything like this before. Yeah. And then, uh, and you know, one of, one of the uh, financial systems, if you want to look at this, to see how long it takes to recover, look at Japan. <laughs> it, I'm sorry. It, it oh yes. William. It, it gives you a good example of how long it takes a country to recover when they have such, such a, a financial crisis. Well, unfortunately, gentlemen, we're going to have to stop it there because that just about does it for this edition of The Currency of Truth. But we will be back with part two of our exciting interview with Vandell on our next podcast. And please remember to support our broadcast affiliate partner, GlintPay.com, where you can buy, save, spend real gold instantly with Glint. You can check them out on our website. And if you use our promo code, you will be able to save money on their services. And so thank you for myself and thank you from Bill. We will see you next time.